0: We continue our sermon series from Paul's what we call letter 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 today, when winning is losing, when winning is losing. Let me say at the outset that Paul is not talking, taking a position against lawyers or courts or judges. Paul is specifically speaking to the church. That this is perhaps one of the most misunderstood passages in all the New Testament. It's about Christians and lawsuits between them. What is Paul really saying, and to whom is he saying it? Answers to both of those questions in the sermon. I came across an article entitled, Man Sues Himself. It's was the headline of an AP Wire story Well, the guy drives a dump truck for the city, and as he was employed in the city's employment, driving the city's dump truck, he backed into his own vehicle, and then he sued the city to pay his vehicle because a city employee had destroyed his car. The city said, that's absolutely silly. You damaged your own car. We didn't do it, but since an employee is uh, the employer is often liable for the actions of an employee during their normal course of employment. Well, maybe I guess one could make the argument the city damaged his car and the city ought to pay it. I don't know. Well, let's take it a step further. Imagine a terrible situation. If a policeman accidentally shot his spouse while trying to apprehend a criminal would he then sue the city to pay him because he accidentally shot his own wife? Same scenario, isn't it? I'm not sure what's right in those situations. We certainly have better legal minds in the room than mine. But the point of these stories is this. Sometimes, in going after others, we lose sight of our own responsibility. Sometimes, in going after others, we lose sight of our own responsibility. Responsibility. Sometimes we assert our own individual rights in the church and thus we hurt the whole body in doing so. So, what about Christians suing Christians? Dare we really hear what Paul has to say? He can hardly be denied that we ourselves live in one of the most litigious societies that has ever existed. You read about lawsuits, about a couple of kids suing McDonald's for their own obesity, saying that McDonald's is to blame, that chicken nuggets and Big Macs are the things that done it. That's the way it seems to go in our culture. I actually found a guy who really did sue himself, no kidding, Robert Brock as an inmate at the Indian Creek Correctional Center in Chesapeake, Virginia. He sued himself for getting drunk and violating his own civil rights. He's currently serving 23 years for breaking, entering, and grand larceny in a handwritten lawsuit from prison, he said, in 1993. I partook in alcoholic beverages, and as a result, I caused myself to violate my own religious beliefs. This was done by my going out and getting arrested, which caused me to be in prison for violating my own religious beliefs. I want to pay myself $5 million dollars, I asked the state to pay it now since I can't work and I'm a ward of the state. The guy sued himself for $5 million, but of course you guess it, he wants you to pay for it. <laughs> the judge in this case, Rebecca Smith, dismissed the suit. She said, and I quote, the plaintiff presented an innovative approach to civil rights litigation. However, his claim, and especially the relief sought, are totally ludicrous. You know things have gotten litigious when a man sues himself i want to be very clear at the onset this passage in corinthians is not about lawsuits in general it's not about lawsuits between corporations it's not even about lawsuits between christians and entities of the world first corinthians 6 is specifically about the people of god suing the people of god christians taking christians to court i saw a cartoon where a religious soloist was about to sing her song. She goes to the platform, the piano player is perched and ready to begin the song. But first, the soloist says in the microphone, I would like to share a song with you that the Lord gave me a year ago. And even though the Lord did give it to me, any reproduction of this song in any form without my written consent will constitute a infringement of the copyright law who grants me the right to sue your pants off. Praise God, she said, and then sang the song. Wow. We don't know exactly what these lawsuits were about, but they were civil in nature. They weren't criminal. In verse 3, we read that they were about matters of everyday life. Verse 4, again, matters of this life. And in verse 7, it says it's better to be defrauded, meaning there's something monetary taking place, and I'll give you a supposition in a moment. Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 1 this way, and how dare you take each other to court? When you think that you have been wronged, does it make any sense to go before a court that knows nothing about God's ways instead of a family of Christians? I want us to notice quickly three things about 1 Corinthians 6 and Christians and lawsuits in Corinth. First of all, this passage is primarily about being called in community. This passage is primarily about we being called in community and not thinking about me. The problem was that church members were suing church members in civil courtrooms, courtrooms outside of the church. They were taking the family's dirty laundry, that is the church's problems, and putting them before pagan, unbelieving judges and jurors. They had lost their identity as the unique people of God when they did that. As Christians, We are called to be part of community. We are called to be part of the people of God. Michael Green is a first century historian, writes about the first century. And he said in the early church, the grace of God was made credible because of the love and mutual care in the church that astonished the pagans. It was recognized, the love that the church had, church members were church members, as something entirely new that had never existed in history before. It, it wasn't that way in Corinth, though, we learned, was it? But there were some locations where people believed in the grace of God because of the way the people in the church treated other people in the church. This was a, a new kind of people church. Nothing like it had ever existed before. A new kind of love, a new kind of giving. There was something entirely new about the way the church treated each other. In fact, their kindness to each other lit persuasiveness to the fact that Christians, that Messiah, that Jesus was the Messiah, the Christ. People look at us that way down here at 12th and Tyler. People say, man, I've never seen anything like that. Wow, look how they love each other. There must be something really unique unique about how they believe and what they practice. Paul is reminding them here that they are an eschatological community. Look at verse 3. Don't you realize, Paul says, That the one day those who are part of the people of God will participate in the judgment of the world. In fact, he says in verse 6, you will one day judge angels himself. Now this idea of us judging angels is an unprecedented comment in the New Testament. But it it certainly makes sense that we as the adopted sons and daughters of God will one day assist God in the judgment of the cosmos. Verse 4 he says, Instead, you are taking your issues before those with no standing. That's a nice way of translating it. The pagan judges who are to be spies by the church. Isn't there any sophos among you? You know the word Sophia. The name Sophia means wise, wisdom, sophos. The Greek word here. Isn't there a wise person among you? Instead of going before the pagan judges... Brother taking brother to court, can't you find a wise brother or sister, a sophos among you? In fact, you remember in Corinth, there were some who were pretending to be more wise than Paul himself. You think you're so wise? Isn't there a wise one to compromise your differences? There was a new garage in town that just gotten started a man began bringing his automobiles to that garage. And while it seemed like a great garage, the the owner seemed to be in charge and the workers seemed to really care. And they had all the certificates of training on the wall. Everything seemed so helpful about this garage. He actually found somebody now who could work on his car with integrity and talent. But one day, a particular customer was on another part of town where he didn't often go. It was a different garage that he drove by, and he noticed that the lead lead mechanic at the garage that he had just discovered and had so much confidence in was taking his own car to this other garage on the other side of town. Why was that, he thought to himself. If the lead mechanic doesn't have confidence... And his own employees said, why should I take my car there? In fact, he learned he was taking it to folks to work on his car who didn't even have the certificates of training. They had never been trained in working on cars. He thought to himself, this seems awfully, awfully strange. It seemed like he doesn't even care about the kind of people who are working on his car. You see the parallel, surely. How is it that the church... Members, brothers in the church, sisters in the church would take their problems to someone not certified in the principles of living in a Christian community. And if we don't trust the church to solve our issues, then who possibly would? That's what Paul is saying. Verse 6 is litigation puts brother against brother, brother goes to law with brother, and before unbelievers, at that. It has to stop, Paul's saying. Here's the essence of the whole passage. If you get nothing else, get this. Such conduct promotes, it is a part of society that promotes greed, individual greed, rather than new corporate identity in Christ. The conduct of the Corinthians promoted individual greed of its members rather than the new discovered corporate identity that they shared in Christ. It has to stop. Paul said, once you believe in Christ, we must think of ourselves not so much as an individual, but part of a body. We're no longer me, myself, and I, but it's we, it's ours, it's us, you see. In fact, our question after we become a believer in Christ Jesus for every decision we make is, what is best for the church? What is best for the people of God? What is best for the body of Christ? It's so hard for us in a Western culture to hear this call away from individualism into community. We live in a world in a culture that teaches us to be self-sufficient, that we're to be strangers to everyone else. But Paul is saying right here that Christ has created community And the Bride of Christ, the church, we are to be family and brothers. Listen to the familial language. Brothers in Christ together. How could anyone sleep in on a Sunday morning when their community is down here gathered? How could anyone skip this, what's happening this morning when the community is down here and gathered? How could they miss being part of the people of God on the day of the week that we're to stop and celebrate the resurrection. C.S. Lewis, in The Weight of Glory, said, No Christian, and indeed no historian, could accept the epigram which defines religion as, quote, what a man does in his solitude. The Wesleys have said, The New Testament knows nothing of a solitary religion. We are forbidden to neglect the assembling of ourselves together. Christianity is already institutional in its earliest documents. The church is the bride of Christ and we are members to each other. Corporate identity was being destroyed by those in Corinth. Throughout the book of Acts and all the letters of the Apostle Paul The church is always presented as a vital community. A community that draws others into relationship with Christ and a relationship with this church, the people of God. We are a colony. We are a communal life. We are strangers and aliens in this world as a church. When we, unlike any other institution, we're called to discipline our wants and our needs to live our lives in congruence with the story of Jesus... It's a story of sacrifice. It's a story of service. It's a story of giving. It's a story about what's best for you and not what's best for me. We are to live in Christ's community in the church. More important, Paul's saying, than your claim on private property is the unity of the church, the image of the church before the pagans. Well, there's not only a call to community, but the second thing is there's a condemnation of injustice. There's a condemnation of injustice. We are called not only in the community, but we are called to condemn injustice. It's quite clear in Corinth. We'll see it in other passages as we go through. The what's taking place here is that the well to do are suing those who have not, is the haves taking the have nots to court. And the judges themselves, being in the category of the halves, were more likely to listen to the testimony of the landowners than they were of the tenants. And therefore, they were selling their decisions to their neighbors who lived in their own gated-type communities. In fact, one writer of antiquity complains about that day in the courts of that day, of what avail are the laws to be where money rules alone? And the poor suitor can never succeed. So a lawsuit is nothing more than a public auction. And the nightly juror who sits listening to the case approves, with a record of his vote, something bought. Dio Chrysostom notes that in Corinth, especially around the time of the Isthmian Games, was full of lawyers' innumerable, perverting judgment. The rich members of the church were taking the poor members of the church to court. They favored creditors over debtors and landlords over tenants. Think about the same image in James chapter 2. For you, church, have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? It was happening. It was written by the brother of our Lord. It was happening in common. If the church operates like the world, then the church is no different than the world The church's committees are only filled with people of power and influence, people of wealth and prestige, and we conducted ourselves exactly like the world. We are to be different than any other society. We are not to notice the difference between the haves and the have-nots, but to come alongside our brother. Here's the third thing he says. Sometimes it's better just to be defrauded. Look what he says in verse 7. Actually, then, it is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud, and that your brothers. When Christians take Christians before the pagan courts, he's saying you've already lost. If you're part of the body, if you win, you lose because you've hurt another part of the body. Socrates is reported to have said, by Plato reported it, if it were necessary either to do wrong or to suffer it, I would choose to suffer it rather than to do it. If it were necessary either to do wrong or to suffer it, I would choose to suffer wrong rather than to do it. Paul is saying this, don't drag the name of Christ into the mud by taking each other, who understand the principles of living a Christian life, living in the shadow of the cross and the resurrection, do not take your decisions before the pagan courts. Isn't there a wise one among you? I heard a story about a lady who bought a monkey. She had always wanted a monkey her whole life growing up. And that day, she walked in the ball pet store and they had a monkey. So she just, it sounds like Robbie, I know, but this, this is real stuff here. <laughs> So she bought the monkey that day, and she brought it home. Her husband was furious about the monkey. Where's he going to eat? The husband demanded. At our table, his wife replied. He grumbled with his mother. Well, you just tell me right now where he's going to sleep, the man said. Well, in our bed, of course, his wife said. Well, what about the odor, the man asked. Well, I got used to it, and I guess the monkey will get used to you, too. There's a little monkey in all of us. There's something something that doesn't smell right with each one of us. But what Paul is saying in Christ, we're all called to come to the same table. We're all called to be bedfellows, so to speak, because we're family. We are called, we are called in the community. Paul couldn't believe it. He had started this church with the principles of the sacrifice, the crucifixion of Christ, and his glorious resurrection. And now that he had left, they were dragging each other to the court. The haves were taking the have-nots and suing them and trying to get rich off the poor folks. And he couldn't believe that they were allowing pagans who were taking bribes to make decisions over their, own, over their own disputes. And he says, man, even if you win, you lose. You're dragging the name of the church through the mud by people who don't even know the principles of the cross, by people who do not walk by the fruit of the Spirit. This morning, I ask you where you are in your own life. Where is your commitment to community? Do you wake up every morning asking what is best for me, myself, and I? Or do you wake up trying to live your life in such a way as to bring honor upon Christ, upon His body, the church. You conduct yourselves with fellow church members in such a way as to always honor Christ. You began to think about we instead of me. Is your is your sole identity on who you are and what you have or now do you see yourself as part of something a unique Christ community the bride of Christ created and formed by the Christ the only institution he created is the church a people gathered around the story of a crucified and resurrected Jesus While I was preparing the sermon I found some interesting documents from the churches who actually make you sign this when you join. I found a, a church in Kansas City, Christ Fellowship. To join that church, you have to sign this statement. I will submit to the church's discipline upon myself and lovingly assume my responsibility to participate in the discipline of other members as taught in Scripture. If I am offended in connection with a disciplinary matter, I will seek resolution within the church. I will never initiate or pursue civil litigation against the church or any other Christian. Wow. They might have just read 1 Corinthians 6. Now, the legalities are complicated. I'm not asking anyone to sign away anyone's due process. But this much is clear. Every one of us must think about the body of Christ as a corporate community rather than Than ourselves, because sometimes when the squabble happens within the body of Christ, if you win, you lose anyway. You hurt the image of Christ and His people. If Jesus really is the Messiah, and we really as a church are the Messiah's people, then why on earth would we ever trust our judgments or disputes to a pagan court? Of law what Paul is saying is this not me but us not I but we always think about the community let's pray what a powerful and challenging word from first Corinthians for those of us who live in such a litigious society How can pagans rule on Christians when they don't even understand the principles by which we live? Father, I pray that I, I pray that we, began to picture our identity as corporate and communal rather than individual. Father, that we would see what Christ has done for us. And in his resurrection, he has called together a community. Not individuals, but a community. And may we prioritize our worship and our presence and our service. As we serve each other. Following a Christ who washed his disciples' feet. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.